Hello and welcome to the Every Nation Twane Moikluf podcast. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message with us. My name is Ram Zaidnet. I am married to Riette, a phenomenal wife, and we have a little uh, one, Emily. She's 13 months old now. Uh, she is a bit ill, so they might be joining us. Otherwise, uh, you'll see them around. And um, yeah, what a blessing it's been to be a father. And I think in this series, we'll see something about the father also. But today, we are starting a new five week series called Who is God? The whole world is asking this. We should know this. And so who is God? And I want to start us off with a quote from John Calvin. John Calvin, an amazing theologian, a giant in the Christian history, history. and uh, in his book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, he starts it off like this. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, True and sound wisdom consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. And so throughout this series, we're trusting for this, Philip alluded to to this also last week, saying, if we don't know who God is, then we won't know how to respond to Him, how to relate to Him, how to interact with Him. It is a dire need for us to know who God is. And with this series, we are trusting that we'll have a greater understanding, we'll have greater depth, we'll have greater respect, we'll have greater reverence for the beautiful name and the being of God. And so I want to give us some time to just open our Bibles to Exodus 3. You can turn to Exodus 3 from verse 13. Exodus 3 from verse 13. And I just want to give us some background on the Scripture before we get into it. So we find ourselves in Exodus 3. The nation of Israel has been under oppression by Pharaoh and the, uh, the Egyptians for 400 years now. 400 years, can you imagine? Uh, Israel initially ended up in Egypt because of a seven-year famine. And uh, the funniest thing is, after the seven years, they could have actually returned to their homeland. Yet, life became so comfortable there along the Nile. It was easy to fish and feed from the Nile. Uh, The ground was fertile, and so this comfortable lifestyle of theirs didn't send them back to their own land. It kept them there. And as they grew, they became 2.5 million people, and Pharaoh saw this as um, a threat, and so he puts them into slavery. And they go into this 400 years of slavery. And yet... God still remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God finds this man named Moses or Moshech, finds him in the wilderness, and he speaks to him through a burning bush. And that is where we are in Exodus 3. He tells uh, tells Moses, 
go and lead my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. And so before we jump into the Word, and I want to encourage you, always do this. Before you go to the Word, go to God in prayer. We need prayer to understand the Word, to be filled in our hearts for the Holy Spirit to open the Scriptures for us. And so let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, oh wow, what a beautiful weekend it has been. And we understand that it's all by your grace. It's by your grace that we get to be here this morning. It's by your grace that we have blood pressure, that we have our hearts beating, that we have breath. It's by your grace that we have this beautiful community. Not only did you humble yourself on the cross, but you humbled yourself in showing yourself through human language, your word. So may we truly see the beauty of that today. May it be as if we're sitting right next to the scribe, being inspired by the Spirit, writing these very words. Thank you, you've protected your word, and that we get to study it today, that we get to see you. I pray that by the Spirit you will open our hearts, speak to our ears, and may our spirits be filled by your word. In the mighty name, and the beautiful name, and the peaceful name of Jesus Christ, we pray this, amen. So Exodus 3, from verse 13 to 15, read with me. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and, send, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. And so it's a familiar scripture, and today we are looking at, uh, or the sermon would be titled, His Name I Am. And we'll be looking at three aspects regarding names, and then specifically God's name. Firstly is the fact that a name is used to distinguish someone. Secondly, that a name tells us something about the origin of this person. And then thirdly, a name speaks of something about generations, gives us a little clue about generations. And so let's jump in. Firstly, a name is used to distinguish a person. Now, what I mean by that is you are able to recognize who you are speaking about or who is being spoken about when a name is used. For example, if someone is going to mention the name Emmanuel, you might be thinking about Jesus, you might be thinking about a worship leader, but you're certainly not going to be thinking about me. There's a big difference in uh, height, in skin tone, in language, home language. There's definitely a big difference in singing uh, capability. And so a name brings clarity. And so looking at this text then, my question is, why would Israel ask, what is his name? When Moses says to him, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Because what we need to understand is these people are living in an oral, traditional 
culture. They're constantly speaking about what God has done in their lives, the covenants that he has made with them, the promises that he has given them. It's part of their tradition. They recite this. And now they're asking, but what is his name? It's clear that they are clearly supposed to know who this God is. And so in asking this, what is his name, I think and I believe that they reveal something about their heart's condition. They reveal something about the true desires of their hearts. See, with this, they show that they are in fact only seeking one aspect of God. They want to relate to God from one name. They want to invoke his name and then say, what can we get from this God when we approach him from this name? And so isn't that what we also maybe do? And we can simply test that. Do you like relating to God as the provider? I definitely do. Thankful for it. Do you relate to God as the healer? The comforter? The loving God? How about the holy God? How about the God that judges? How about the God that will not tolerate sin? Can you relate to that God? And so how does God respond to Moses when he says, who should I say has sent me? He simply says, I am who I am. Now can you imagine someone introduces himself to you like that? Like, hello, I'm Ruan. It's like, hi, I am. Yes, you're who, you're what? I know you're where, you're here, but who are you? No, just I am. And with this statement, It's actually quite difficult to translate when you look at the Hebrew. It's almost as if God almost breaks the language when he says this. And so you'll find many different translations on this. Some say, I am who I am. Some say, I am that I am. Some say, I am slash will be what I am slash will be. And then one of my favorites, the one from the Septuagint, translation, it reads as follows, I am the being. I am the being. God here clearly distinguishes himself apart from all of creation, apart from everything else. He distinguishes himself by saying, I am who I am. He also declares to Moses the following that, I am who I am, not who you want me to be. I am who I am, you will not define me. I am who I am, you cannot box me. And so friends, when we do this, when we relate to God only from one aspect, he is the provider, but if we only approach him for provision, he is the healer, but if we only approach him for healing, he is the comforter, But if we only approach him for comfort, then the sad thing is we will never truly know him. If we do not come to him and seeking all of his fullness, all of his greatness as the great I am, then we will not know him. 
The other sad thing is the fact that when we do this, we cheat ourselves. When we pick and choose which names we want to interact with, we create another God. This is not the God from the Bible. This is not a God that can save you. This is not a God that can change you, that can sanctify you. This is not a God that can rid all of that gunk in your heart that is toxifying you. It's not the God of the Scriptures. We're cheating ourselves in knowing this great I am. And so it's only once we understand the true gravity of this name I am will our lenses be corrected and we will approach him correctly. I am means he's omnipotent, means he's almighty. If Genesis 1 is true, oh man, how powerful this God is. He's omniscient, it means he's all wise and all knowing. How much do we use Google? Quickly want to find out. And then you still get the wrong answers. Imagine one that can never be wrong. This is spectacular. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. I think we experienced that with the worship this morning, right? Man, powerful. I wanted to say it's, if Emmanuel is up here and uh, I see an acoustic set, I know I'm in trouble with my emotions, <laughs> having to preach the word after that. And so this God, this I am, is just spectacular. And so with these corrected lenses, as we get to know him more, we do the following. We appeal and we do not demand. We submit, never thinking that we are in fact entitled. We ask in faith and not in presumption. We trust rather than to try and manipulate. And lastly, we describe who he truly is rather than prescribe who he ought to be. Why? Because he's the great I am. Because he's so much greater than I could even fathom. That language can barely explain. This is the great I am. Back to the text in verse 15 we read, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so secondly, name can be used to speak about something about the origin of a person. Now, if you take my name, Ruan, eh, you might get something from it. If you speak about Bezaidnot, my full name, there's some more clarity. Most probably European, in fact, very high likelihood of being Dutch. And so if you look at this map here, we can put on the map, right there in the center is a town called Bezaidnot, and it's south of the Haagsebos in Den Haag in the Netherlands. And so in essence, my name or my surname means the people living south of the woods. Now, it doesn't mean it was these specific woods, but it was some big woods in, in the Netherlands or in Holland at the time. There's a distinct origin implied when speaking about my name, and so also with God. 
And when looking at the text, we can easily confuse God saying, this is my name forever, that it means he's now interacting with Moses, and from that space onwards, his name will be I am. No, in fact, what God says, my name will be I am forever, it means it has always been, it is now, and it will always be this unchanging name. His name is everlasting. God's name, God's being, God's I aming is eternal. That means he's uncreated. Everything we know had a start in our life. Time had a start. Matter had a start. Space had a start. But not God. That is so unique. This origin of God is so unique. Moses explains it beautifully in Psalm 90 verse 4, the relationship between God and time. And he says the following, a thousand years, how long is a thousand years? A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Watch referring to guards changing. So have you ever been excited about something so much that it feels like ages are passing before you get to that? Now imagine, in fact, true ages passing, but it's as if it's only a day. That is the uniqueness of the origin of God. To put eternity into some kind of context, I want you to imagine the following. There's a rope going that way, all the way to the beginning of time. This time is linear, and it goes, this rope goes all the way to my right unto eternity. Our lifespans will merely be a knot in that rope. Do you see the rope from the beginning of time unto eternity, and your life is just a knot in that rope? makes no sense if life is so short to only come to God from one angle. makes no sense. And the other thing that I've only realized lately is that in this 80-year knot, if God has the grace for us to grow to 80 and beyond, in that time span, we get to know something about God that we will not be able to in eternity because of the experience of suffering in this world. In eternity, we will not know suffering, and so we will not know God in suffering there. We can only know Him like that in the situation we are now, in a world full of sin. It's an opportunity in this world that we get to know God in another way that we could never do elsewhere. Grab that opportunity? Do you see the urgency to know all of God at all times in all circumstances? How about wisdom? Just imagine the wisdom of standing there, not being in time, time actually answering and relating to you, and you are able to see the beginning and the end at the very same time. A being with that wisdom, is that not a being we can trust? 
Is that not a being we can submit to? Is that not a being where I can say, God, your ways are not mine? Speak about generations. I mentioned we're looking at three points, and lastly, generations and in a name gives us a clue about where this name might fit in a generation. Now, we don't see that very often today because we don't have many Henry V's running around. Um, and in a more modern context, sometime you might f find a suffix, something like junior or senior. And so it puts someone in the position somewhere in a generation. And so let's go back to the text where we read, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God declares himself as the God of generations. And this is not merely for the purpose of speaking about his eternal being. What God is declaring there is because of the fact that he is the God of generations, this God is alive and active in every single generation. If we look at the context of the Israelites courting slavery, 400 years, crying out to God most definitely, do you think that the understanding of why God is not intervening in that stage? Do you think that the understanding of why God is waiting 400 years before he intervenes? Of course not. But God is the God of generations. He's active. He's in control. He's sovereign. And so how did this look in this context? Well, God knew he had to wait for the Canaanites to rise up and become such an evil nation that by the time that he escorts them out of the promised land and he escorts the Israelites into the promised land, it's clearly an act of justice and judgment. If he had to do it earlier, it would almost not seem fair. It would almost seem as if it's not like his character. God had the wisdom, he had the sovereignty, he was being active, and so God not intervening was God being in control. Sometimes we need to understand God not intervening is still God being in control. Speaking of generations, what about the next generation? Are we merely focusing on our generation for now? Or are we looking beyond ourselves? Are we looking beyond this time span? Are we looking beyond that knot in that rope? We need to understand that if we want to put the next generation on stable ground, we need to bring them to a place where they will know the one that will still be there, still be active, still be sovereign and in control, we need to guide all people unto I am. We need to, need to urgently bring people to this I am God. So just as we need to, 
Know this God, friends. Last night I was um, finishing up on this, this sermon and obviously watched the rugby and afterwards getting back to the word and I hear people having a good time and I'm so thankful for the win and everyone is celebrating. But at the same time, while that music is playing and while they are screaming and echoing, I'm hearing the echoes of empty hearts. How long can a World Cup win sustain us? Wednesday? I don't even think so. Tuesday? Tomorrow morning? But there's a God of the generations that is there to be known, to be loved, to be worshipped. A God that is active. And so to conclude... Jesus in Luke 9 asks Peter the following. He says, who do you say I am? He starts off by proclaiming that, or asking, in fact, who do the crowd say I am? What does the world say God is? Who is God to the world? Who is God to you? Who is this I am being? Is he truly the fullness of I am? Do we know him in the fullness of I am? You want to know how Isaiah might have answered that question? Chris, can we get some music up, please? You want to know how Isaiah might have asked that question, answered that question? Well, Isaiah prophesied about the coming of Jesus And in Isaiah 53, we read the following. He says, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. Jesus, being fully God, being this full I am, comes to the world, humbles himself, lives the perfect life that you and I couldn't live just to relate and take on this title for you and for me. He goes from remaining as I am, but adding to that, he becomes a man of sorrows. He takes all of our sin and he puts it in the grave. And this just breaks my mind. How is it that a big, powerful, massive, all-knowing, wise, generational, in-control, sovereign God becomes a man of sorrows? How? It's by love. all by love. Jesus wasn't God's plan B. The cross wasn't his plan B. Becoming a man of sorrows wasn't his plan B. God standing outside of time, seeing the beginning, seeing the ending, seeing what would need to be uh, be done, he still creates us. He still wants fellowship with us. 
I am. I am. Wants fellowship with us. So much so that he becomes the man of sorrows. And so all of our life, all of our lives will be a response to that very fact. To the fact of the cross. All of our lives is a response to the cross. I'm going to ask you, how are you responding? Responding to God only for provision? Only for protection? And this is not out of condemnation. What I'm asking us and imploring us is stop cheating yourself out of knowing this magnificent God. You'll find no greater joy, contentment, than knowing the great I am. I can assure you that. And if you don't know that, I dare you to test it. When we're singing these songs, um, saying I searched the world and it couldn't fill me, I was thinking about my life, traveling so many places, making good money, uh, alcohol, all of that, and I was so empty. My heart was disgusting. But then I met I am, and it changed everything. Everything. And so for those that haven't responded to the cross, I know there are those here that need a change like I experienced, a change in everything, a radical change, true contentment, true joy beyond your circumstances, knowing this I am, submitting your lives unto him. There's anyone that hasn't responded to the cross of Christ and saying, oh, I want to know this God. I want to serve this God. That's one of you. I implore you to raise your hand. I ask you to be brave. Is there anyone? Then I'm joyous to see all of you in the presence of God one day. But secondly, this question of Jesus, who do you say I am, demands a response constantly and so I want you to reflect and I want you to think how have you been responding to God how have you been relating to him to his name to the fact that he is just so magnificent have you, want, have you been wanting to know God more than what he can do for you have you truly seeked his presence I'm definitely not perfect. I definitely haven't been doing it 100% of the time. I want to. And I will keep trying. And I'll ask in this community to help me. Are we seeking God, friends? So I want to close our eyes. What is the Spirit saying to you? What is the Spirit saying to you? Who is this God? Who is this God to you? I want you to stand up and I want you to 
have to make any movement. All I want is to open your heart and say, God, show me. Show me who you truly are. Go beyond my ways. Go beyond my means. Go beyond my seeking of fulfillment in this world. Bring me you, all of you, your fullness, the great I am. Just sense to also pray that some of you might be experiencing voices wanting to silence. That spirit speaking to your heart. And so I pray simply by the name of Jesus, I say you will now go wherever he sends you. I will not speak, I will not interact with you. You will simply go where Jesus sends you. You will be silenced and we will have peace in our hearts. So to end off, don't cheat yourself. Come to God, come to I am. Come and know him. Eat with him, drink with him, play with him, cry with him. We see all of that in the Psalms. Come to him. Go on this journey in this series also with us in knowing all of the elements, all of the fullness of the great I am. I pray this, amen. That concludes today's message. For more information, visit our website at everynationtwane.org forward slash That's everynationtwane.org forward slash Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Till next time then. Hey.